Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for this series, and I'm speaking today with Bob DeWay, teacher and theologian at Gospel of Grace Fellowship and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, we've had some interesting discussions in Sunday school lately having to do with determining God's will and whether or not there's a particular will for everyday circumstances in our life. So Bob has an article. It is CIC issue number 75. You can find it at CICministry.org. And the title of the article is God's Will and Christian Liberty. So we're going to spend a few episodes going through this article and discussing the various categories and finding out how we really determine God's will. Now, in the beginning of the article, you lay out four important categories. Can you just touch on what those four categories are, and then we'll start with the first one? Okay. Four categories are, number one, God's revealed will. Number two, God's providential will. Number three, Christian liberty. And number four, wisdom. Okay. Okay, so revealed will. Providential will, liberty, and wisdom. And we want to, all of those are addressed in the Bible. We want to deal with that and help people get sound biblical understanding about how God's will applies to their lives. Okay. You open this article with Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I feel like we bring up that verse a lot, but it's so important for establishing even just a biblical worldview. So we're going to go back over it again, and then we're going to talk about what the things revealed are. Yes. So Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Deuteronomy 29, 29. So what are the things revealed? Well, you can see right in the passage that that phrase, the things revealed, is synonymous with all the words of this law. Right. And, and so the scripture they had at that time under Moses was, the, Moses speaking for God, the, what we would have is the Pentateuch. But we know that that covers all the things revealed now because we have the Old and New Testaments as the very word of God, the scripture. Right. So the, what's revealed is revealed inherently, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and given to us in the Christian scriptures. Okay, and then what are... Th what are the secret things? Well, the word secret in its essence means occult. And it's about spiritual matters that God has not chosen to reveal. And so an occultist, for example, is someone looking into uncovering spiritual mysteries and secrets and things that couldn't be known by any ordinary means. God hasn't revealed those things. And those are the things that belong to God. They're, right. they're and, just not for us to things, know. And there's other things that we can't know that I cover in this article. For example, God's future providential will. 
Right. And providence covers all things. We know what's already happened. So we know what God in his providence has allowed to happen in history. But what's going to happen future is not covered by actual biblical prophecy. We don't really know. So a false prophet could claim to know the secret of whether the stock market is going to go up or down. Right. But that's not revealed. And so God's future providential will is unknown until history reveals it as history goes on. Other than what's covered in the Bible, but then that's things revealed. Okay? Right. And the other thing is spiritual information from the world of the spirits that God hasn't revealed to us in the Bible. Because we don't have the capabilities of knowing that by any allowable means. Occultists use forbidden means. And we, right. we, we see that in Moses' writing, that they can't talk to spiritists and people that call up the dead and so forth. And we're not to use divination. That's forbidden in the Bible. Now, the other category then, so... When it comes to spiritual things, there's things revealed and the occult area that we're not allowed to know. We also okay. don't know God's future providential will because it hasn't happened yet. But what we do know is what God's revealed. The other area would be ordinary knowing by our five physical senses and our rational mind that God has equipped us with that's necessary for living on the face of the earth. Okay? Right. And that would be back to Genesis. Adam named the animals. That was before the fall. And after the fall, he's commissioned to uh, go forward and by the sweat of his brow, eke out a living, try to get the land to grow something, distinguish between thistles and food, and name things and carry on life. So we're allowed to learn anything that's not occultic, not forbidden, within the realm of what we call general revelation. Right. And that's science. Science is general revelation, and we can use it, and it's beneficial. And it's very much under attack right now. Yeah, by postmodern. And then history is part of general revelation. What's right. happened on the face of the earth? We already mentioned that category. So we are to learn by ordinary means, but when it comes to spiritual things, Deuteronomy 29, 29 forbids us to look into secret things that belong only to God. So in your article, you talk about the most important part of God's revealed will, as we find it in Scripture. So the, the overarching theme from beginning to end is God's plan of messianic salvation. And we can only find that through God's word. We can't use science to determine it. We don't need to use occult knowledge to determine it. It's revealed for us in the word of God. Right. And the article deals with that. Yeah. So we also, though, find God's moral will within his revealed will. 
And it's important for us even as believers. So let's talk a little bit about that category so we have it firm in our head before we go on. Okay. Well, actually, that we ought to believe in Christ is also God's moral will. Right. It's a smaller part of that bigger category. And I cited in this article Hebrews 2 and verse 3. There it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken to the Lord? It was confirmed to us by those who heard, that is, the apostle. And so it's God's will, God's revealed moral will, that people hear the gospel, come to know that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And it says in, in Luke Acts that repentance for forgiveness of sins is to re, be preached to all the nations. It started Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. So God's moral will includes repentance, faith, and finding forgiveness of sins. Yes, I have a highlighted quote here in your article that I want to make sure we include, and it's this. Messianic salvation must be the first issue we come to grips with. Otherwise, all the moral and wise decisions gleaned from Scripture will be of no eternal benefit. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I included that in my article. There are people who will glean through the Bible and come up with ethics or a moral law which is revealed, but they don't actually know Jesus Christ or they have a different Christ. So all they have is an external religion of good works, and they've rejected salvation by grace and faith. And there are many cults like that. There are many uh, Christianized cults, I mean, that are claiming to be Christian, but they're legalistic and they don't believe in salvation by grace or faith. And so that's why I laid out those categories. Because otherwise you'll just say, well, let's go through here. Let's get the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, some of the things that Paul said, add in some things Moses said, and we'll come up with a religion with moral code. But if they don't have Christ, they'll be worthless because they'll end up lost and in hell. Right. And God's word says all of those good works, all of that law keeping apart from Christ is like filthy rags. It's not doing good works for the wrong reason is not, is still not good. We need to be doing that in right relationship with God. Right. So that's why I wrote this article. It's, it's rather technical, but we need to get this material out there to people because you can't count on learning this stuff at seminary anymore. Right. And it's really important. This idea of Christian decision-making seems to be an ongoing issue, and it doesn't have to be as complicated as people make it out to be. When it comes to God's revealed will, it's really pretty clear. If, If the young lady you're looking to marry is married to somebody else, God will never bring you somebody else's wife. It's clear. That's that's forbidden, exactly. So the bigger topic is guidance, we want to lay a foundation so that people understand the biblical category. Right. So, first of all, 
God's revealed will is that we come to Christ. Secondly, having done that for those who believe in Christ, and they're not trusting their own works, then there's a revealed moral will about how we ought to live. If I was going to live in obedience to Christ, his apostles, what would that look like? Well, that's revealed in the Bible. Yep. And it's clear. We can use our minds. We can read God's word. We can understand it. And we can know what we need to do. Right. And that's not saying there's never been an ethical dilemma because sometimes we got to find out what the greater good is. That's for another topic. Sometime we can deal with ethical dilemma. For now, let's deal with the ones that we know it definitely says in the Bible, like, you shall not steal. Yes. Okay? And so on. Okay. So we've covered God's revealed will. It's spelled out in the scripture for us. And the primary thing is that we repent and believe the gospel. Right. The second category, then, is God's providential will. Let's spend a little bit of time just laying out what that is. Okay. We touched on it earlier, but let's clear. I think we especially need to make clear that there's more to God's providential will than just what is good. Yes. Providence there's a, is a, based on Romans 8, for example, and other passages that talk about all things. Now, some people don't really care for this doctrine, but it's so biblical that there's no way they can get rid of it and be halfway honest with the Bible. Okay, so let me just read Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's talking about believers and the comfort they have that everything in the entire universe, all things, God has at his disposal, and they're bringing those who believe in Christ all the way to glory. Yes. And we'll see in the context, if you read further Romans 8, that Paul asks rhetorically, what shall separate it from the love of Christ? Right. And then he gives this list of things that somebody thinks might separate them from the love of Christ, like things present, things to come, and so on. And then some people that question God's sovereignty say, well, we can separate ourselves from it if we actually like. Ah, but I'm a created thing. Yeah, you went <laughs> where I was going to go. The last thing, <laughs> the last thing uh, in the list says, or any other created thing. So Paul is making it very clear that all things here is comprehensive and literal. Right. And it includes both good and evil. Right. So, it, yeah, the list includes things that are good and evil. So God allows evil, but he's still in control of his own universe. And so the schemes of Satan are still there. They're still valid. We need to be aware of what they are and not be ignorant of his devices. But it's still part of all things. Right. Okay. And go ahead. Well, some people think that 
if we if we're just not too smart and uh, somehow don't get some secret information about what's going on, like what curse we're under, then bad things are going to happen, and it's our own fault. They have right. a deficient view of God's sovereignty. You can really get derailed for a long time trying to go back and figure out this missing link that you need to determine when, in fact, we can just rest in God's promises and God's sovereignty. Right. Well, you know, this This is an endless problem because I keep getting links to articles and you know, teachings that I run across that people are trying to or some of the research I'm reading some books right now, future articles, and they get all of these deterministic philosophies that they throw in there. In other words, you have some secret thing that happened because somebody said something or did something to you when you were a little child, and therefore you're determined to be some certain way until you gain information about that and do something to fix it, otherwise you're just determined. So they try to fix the human heart. But we've seen from Jeremiah that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God. Right. So, so dear listeners, don't let anybody say, well, you have to unravel this huge, complex interaction of all the things in the world. Romans 8.28, all things. Well, there's demons and there's hidden curses and there's things people said to us. They say you have a subconscious mind and memories from before you're even old enough to have consciousness of your own memories. And all of this is working to derail you and cause bad things. You better figure it all out. No one could read Romans 8.28 to the end of the chapter and come to that conclusion. Right. Because we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. So providence covers all things. It doesn't require us to have omniscience, like God, to know what all those things are, because we couldn't. It doesn't require us to discover secret things, forbidden, Deuteronomy 29, 29, in order to go back and un-derail un our situation by some sort of a psychotherapeutic deterministic idea or process. So dump all that stuff, put yourself in the hands of God, trust Jesus Christ, and know that he has all things providentially under his control it is for the good of those who love him and are called. This is the internal call according to his purpose. Amen. Our, our circumstances, whatever they may be, aren't a reflection of our right standing with God. And no, honestly, can't. trying to determine that, I believe, would fall into the category of secret things. That's exactly right. And that's where everybody wants to go because they're not that happy with their lives. And they think if they could find out the secret, in fact, look at all the books that are published. So we've been talking about the secret things, things revealed, and then providence that covers everything. Look at how many Christian books have been published. The title, The Secret Of, or The Secret right. To. Yeah. And it's, it's a very popular way to sell books. 
know there's some secret. If I learn what it is, then I won't have all these problems. Or I'll know something ordinary Christians don't know. Or I'll be able to be the master of my own destiny. But all of that is false. Because what the, the key is, is to trust Christ, believe the promises of God, and stay within the boundaries that are revealed in God's moral law. But they're not satisfied with that. They think, oh, there's something else going on. Like Job's comforters, you're trying to uncover why Job is miserable. Right. And they, they spend chapters and chapters trying to do that until God shows up on the scene. Right. That would right. be an interesting program just in itself. <laughs> but I wrote an article about it if you want to prepare to do a program, we'll do one on Job. Yes, that was a good yeah. article. And so anyhow, uh, dear listeners, we're teaching you this so that you can find hope and comfort and enjoy, and we'll get to the category of Christian liberty, but the, here's the problem. Let me just tell you what the problem is. The reason we get people balking at this, and this comes up when we get new listeners and they're trying to learn these questions come up. So when we give these answers that we're doing right here, it implies that God, God is sovereign over all things. And some people just have never been taught that. Right. And they think that, well, if God is sovereign over all things, well, then why doesn't he straighten it out? Right. Why does he allow all this suffering? But see, the book of Job addresses that. And when God showed up, what was the answer? What was the response? Who are you? Who are you, old man? Yeah. Yeah. Were you and, there? <laughs> and finally, they said, okay, I've said enough. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. Exactly. Just trust God. Take care of us. But it's going to require learning. Okay, if we're going to go through this, Listeners, you're going to have to learn that the truth is God is sovereign over all things. But it's also true that we have liberty, that we have substantial, real liberty in Christ, and that we're free to make decisions that God puts in front of us that are not uh, transgressing his moral law. That's where this is going. Remember the title here. Is God's will and Christian liberty. And yes. the people that are objecting to God's sovereignty, they'll just say, oh yeah, we know God's sovereign. But then they give every reason why God can't do this, that, and the other thing. Therefore, we have to do it. And it's just really bad theology. But they're thinking that, well, if you God is sovereign the way you say, and providence is as it is, stated in Romans 8.28, then everything's determined and all we are is robots. Right. Have you ever heard that? I have. And we can, even just looking at God's word, we can see that's not true. But they're, they see, they're making a philosophical judgment based on human reasoning and wisdom and not making an exegetical statement based on sound exegesis of scripture right 
when I debated that fellow who is an open theist, this great boy, in the debate, that kind of comes up. And in, in the sessions between the debate, public part of the debate, where we were looking through questions, Dr. Boy's a very nice guy. He said, well, I see you have real strong exegetical points. Yeah. And I grounded what my presentation directly on the exegesis of Scripture. He was addressing concerns people have emotionally about some of those implications. Right. And so we're really, in a sense, he has an emotional appeal that God's responsible for evil. Everything's hopeless. It's all fatalistic type of thing. But if God doesn't know everything that's going to happen, and he doesn't know future choices of free moral agents, then we get God off the hook. Dear listeners, I'm not trying to get God off the hook. He didn't need me for that. Yeah. The Bible asks, who's been his counselor? Nobody. Nobody in the world can be God's counselor. So what we're trying to do is accept what God has revealed. Right. And then having accepted it, then, okay, this is the categories. This is how God runs his universe. He's in charge of it. Includes all things. Then, can we still assert what we call compatibilism? Can we be free while God is indeed sovereign in the way the Bible says that he is? Yes, we can. And that's our point. That's what we're going to demonstrate. That we have freedom. Right. And, you know, that God allows evil... Honestly, I find that comforting. It, it's not, if God actually didn't know what was going to happen in my life, that would not comfort me. That God may allow bad things for reasons that I don't understand. I'm much more comfortable with that than the thought that, well, it all happens because God doesn't know, which we can't even support from Scripture. But what we can show from Scripture is how providence works. And every once in a while, God just lays it out for us. And I think a good example of this is Joseph in Genesis. Yeah, two of the key examples, by the way, are Genesis 50-20. And one is, I think, even more amazing is the one in Acts 2-23 with Jesus Christ himself. Yep, let's talk about those two. Yeah, let's talk about both of them. I'll start with the one in Acts, because it's gospel, and then we'll go to Joseph, okay? Okay. So here's what it says in Acts 2, 23 and 24. It says here, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross in the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Acts 2, 23, 24. Now, did I make this statement? I'll quote my article. Murder is against God's moral law. And those who put Christ to death are morally guilty for doing so. However, Christ's res- rejection, death, and resurrection were fully in accord with God's eternal purposes. Right. He's called the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. So it's inescapable 
that God used for a saving purpose, for his ultimate saving purpose, the acts of evil by rebellious evil men. Right. And it says here that this happened by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This is not supporting open theism or some sort of a version of free will where human decisions determine what God is and isn't going to do, not God's eternal counsel. It says what it says. And so compatibilism says this, God is fully in control of his own universe down to the details and humans are free to make decisions as they see fit within that bigger scheme and that God works this all out for the good. Right. But the problem is if you're the one deciding on the wrong side of it and saying, we hate Messiah, we will not have this man rule over us and say to him, be gone, crucify him, be done with him and reject Messiah, we'll be damned. Right. They're still morally responsible for their own sin. Right. And Paul anticipates an objection to this in Romans where he says, well, you'll say that who resists his will. And his answer, who are you, old man, to reply to God? Right. Cannot the thing that does the creating have power over his own creation? And so Paul wasn't misunderstood. He stated what he did. So we're saying that compatibilism is asserted straightforth, excuse me, is asserted as straightforth doctrine right in the Bible. Right. And those pastors, and I have some that are just will never ever believe what I'm saying here that I've known over decades. They won't believe it. And they just keep pushing back on it. And when I make these statements for these verses, well, there's other verses. you got to balance them. Right. I had somebody tell me that. Well, how do you balance all things, Romans 8, 28, with some things? Right. The some things well, being free choices of free moral agents, or they'll, they'll say, well, God has foreknowledge, but he doesn't predetermine anything. But this says right here, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It's both. And foreknowledge implies predetermination because God is omniscient. And whatever God knows, including foreknowledge, cannot fail because if God foreknew something to be a certain way, and then it came uh, out some other way, God would be proved wrong, and God will have lied when he said that it was going to be that way. So God would be lacking knowledge, not omniscient, and a liar, not morally pure, the Holy One, the only truly Holy One. So adding foreknowledge to try to solve the problem doesn't solve anything. No. It's, it's just a sleight of hand to confuse us. Yeah. And, you know, pastorally, let me say something here, Jessica, mm -hmm. because I've been 
of dealing with this for a long time. It was in the 80s when I came to understand this. We just recently shared a little bit of the story of what I was in before in the cares managed. And when I tried to get back to, well, what's the scripture say? It wasn't too many years before this came up. Okay. We started start preaching verse by verse through the Bible and studying and digging through scripture. And all of this came to the forefront. For me, it was about 1986. And so all these things, I did a lot of time studying this and a lot of debates and whatever. And here's what it boils down to. The objection to the Greg Boyds and the others in the, out there to Romans 8.28 is that it's only good news for believers. Okay. okay. It says it works out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. They're not satisfied. They're saying, well, but look at all the other people. Look at all the people that lived and died in foreign lands before they even heard of the God of Israel. What about all the people that never heard of the gospel? What about all my friends and relatives that heard it, but they don't like it? And I can't bear to think that they're going to be lost. And so then they start following emotions, coming up with all these ideas, because they don't like the implications of what it actually says. And then they end up somewhere really bad, because I, I really spent a lot of time studying this and debating brilliant people at seminary who don't agree with me. Yeah. And they say, well, you got that from some creed from Calvin. No, I didn't, actually. Uh, I've never been a fetal Calvinist in my entire life. This is, we're only looking at scripture. You want to study church history, go ahead and say Calvin. But I'm not going to talk about Calvin. I'm talking about church history. Listen, no, I mean, uh, excuse me. I'm not going to talk about Calvin in church history, about scripture. Here's the deal. If you start going down that road, that God has to seem fair to you, where you end up with is the emergent church, which I wrote about. You right. end up with universalism. You end up with monism. God is in everything. Everything's evolving into some future paradise without judgment. And that's where it goes. Those who don't want to go that far, they want to embrace what the scripture is saying in these verses that we studied here. They just live with confusion. Right. Okay? And I notice what they do when they're pastors. They preach topically all the time. Yep. And therefore, they can skip the verses that don't fit into this idea. I was just thinking to myself, this kind of goes right back to what we started with. Our feelings and emotions aren't things revealed by God. Our, our feelings and emotions, they might be good and they might be bad. We would have to go to the things revealed to know that. But what is revealed is that God is providentially ordering all things for our good, for those who are in Christ and for his glory. And that is revealed. And the verse we started with, Deuteronomy 29, 29, says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, 
so that we may observe all the words of this law. They're revealed for us. It's for our good. That's a precious promise there. Right. Th that's not something we need to squawk about. We, you know, when we come up, we all probably have times when we come across hard things in scripture that just really feel like a punch in the nose. What I've learned the hard way a few times over is the best way to approach that is to humbly say, God's word is right. I'm wrong. I don't understand this, but I believe it's true. Yeah, amen, Jessica. You know, talking about feelings and emotions, that's what led to the fall. Right. It's, it's the pleasantness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil led to the right. fall. Good for, uh, it's going to taste good. It's going to have aesthetic values. We're, and we're Satan went. This whole Marxist, socialist, emergent, Hegelian thing that leads to the emergent church. What now just theological liberalism? Yeah. It's all based on uh, sort of a romantic notion of the goodness of nature. Right. And it's not the sovereign God who created the world out of nothing and who actually gives moral law. And, you know, in Satan's attack in the garden went right for the revealed will of God. Has God indeed said? Right. So that's what we got to settle. So as we're running out of time, I want to deal with that verse that you brought up to help us have something to end with to think okay. about for next time, okay? All it's right. Genesis 50 and verse 20. And Joseph said this, and the way it's written in the scripture, we know that this is the right thing. It's, it's right. portrayed as good and right. Quote, and as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, preserve many people alive. Genesis 50, 20. The treacherous way Joseph's brothers treated him, and not just them, Potiphar's wife, the jailer, yeah, of different ones in Egypt, all of this stuff, all this intrigue that was harmful to Joseph, all ended up for God to keep the promises that he had given to Abraham or Abram alive and to bring about salvation for many peoples. So we right. see in the case of Joseph, in the case of Jesus on the cross, God allowing evil for a greater good which is the salvation of many people. And so to wrap that up with what we just said, those who say, unless it's the salvation of every person without exception, then I won't accept it. Well, you're just thinking along the lines of pagans. Right. You've rejected what God's revealed. You don't like it. And you'll end up with some sort of neo-pagan nature worship or emergent or liberalism, you'll end up somewhere, but it won't be where the Bible is leading you through the things that are revealed. Amen. If we reject what God has said about himself and how he orders his universe in his word, we're just setting up a God of our own liking. True enough. So, okay. 
Well, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary. I'd like to remind you, you can access this episode and years worth of others and articles at the website, cicministry.org. And we want to remind you, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Gramus and Bob DeWay, and we'll see you next week. <music>